Let us now open God's holy word together. And we'll turn to the book of Proverbs. We'll read from chapter 10, verse 27. And we go to chapter 11, verse 8. And after the reading of God's holy word, let us sing together Psalm 10, the stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4. So we read the word of God in the book of Proverbs, chapter 10, beginning at verse 7. Sorry, verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and the wicked walks into it instead. The text for the sermon this morning is from our scripture reading, Proverbs 11, and in particular then verse 2. And there we read, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. After the sermon... 
Let us sing together from Psalm 37, the stanzas 1, 3, and 5. Beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, the book of Proverbs in many ways is like a box of chocolates. You know how it goes with chocolates when they're passed around, then it's not proper just to take a handful and just stuff it into your mouth. No, but you you take one at a time and you kind of savor the flavor. So it is also with the Proverbs. To be sure, when you look at the Proverbs, sometimes it looks a bit more like you read a bunch of verses together and they kind of belong together and you say, well, it's almost like chocolate cake. And then you have the bigger piece and you have to eat that whole piece to really get the proper meaning of it because those verses together form a certain theme. But when it comes to most of the Proverbs, then often it is best to take and say one at a time, sometimes maybe two at a time, and then to really reflect on what they are all about. Now, of course, this savoring of an individual proverb will be a little bit difficult since we are in the habit of reading scripture in rather big chunks. So also when it comes to the book of Proverbs, I'm sure that no family when it comes to Proverbs says, well, we're hitting Proverbs today, and now from now on we'll just read one verse a day and work our way through the book of Proverbs. That's going to take an awful long time to come to the end. Although perhaps it wouldn't be a bad idea to say, well, we have a regular reading and also have a proverb for the day and reflect on that as well. Just like you take just one vitamin, not a whole bottle full, but you take one vitamin along with your regular meals. Now, while it is a habit you might want to think about, maybe to have a proverb of the day or a collection of proverbs for the day along with your regular reading, this morning we are going to savor the flavor of the proverb When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Keep in mind, of course, that the goal of all preaching is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and not just have a little moral pep talk. And so with this in mind, this proverb will be explained, illustrated, and applied. So when we then begin to look at this particular proverb carefully, Actually, it's interesting if you were able to read Hebrew, then you would notice that here they have a grammatical device called assonance. That is, there is a similarity of sounds in a couple of words. It's not always possible to capture those kind of things in translation, but it would have made it quite memorable to the Hebrew boys and girls as they were taught this particular proverb. I mention the youth in particular because it often seems that the book of Proverbs indeed is aimed at the youth, almost like you could say an Old Testament catechism, as the youth were taught about proper Christian or godly living. Couldn't speak of Christian back then yet, but proper godly living. Now we can also offer a suggestion just to get a flavor of it. You know, we could say, for example, that those who are vain will experience pain. Kind of a similar sound there. We can also use a familiar English phrase that does not have this assonance, but which is connected to this and related proverbs. And I would say, for example, pride goes before the fall. So that way you make it a bit of a memorable saying, easy to keep in mind. It's good to highlight a detail like this, 
because it makes us appreciate that the Holy Spirit guided a man like Solomon to write what he did with skill and style. It's always good to keep in mind that the Bible is quality literature. But now from this little stylistic detail, we move on to the word translated as pride. It may seem, well, that's obvious. Pride is pride. But the word can have different nuances. You know, for example, we can think of a person who is very skilled at something. Say, he's very skilled, good at math. So it's an academic subject. Or maybe he's really good at some sport. Maybe it's baseball or hockey. And a person like that can be rather proud of his or her ability. That person may even go around kind of bragging about that ability and looking down his nose or her nose at others who are not so good about it and even walk around with a swollen sense of self-importance. Now you can also have people who are not really so good at certain things, but they walk around with a sense of self-importance perhaps because they have managed to make the best of their opportunities. So they, they kind of also are proud individuals. But in the end, however, the person, you could say, is an empty boaster. He is deceiving himself and others. But neither of these kind of meanings of the word proud or pride really fit this proverb. Rather, the word has the sense of, of violently and with blatant disregard for the laws of God barging ahead no matter what the consequences in other passages, you find this very same word in the Hebrew language translated by a word like insolent. Now, such a person has no regard for anyone. He is presumptuous. In the Greek version of this particular passage, we have a word we also use in the English, namely the word hubris, okay, that sense of self-importance, confidence, pride. It's interesting, in Romans chapter 1, verse 30, Paul lists these three different types of pride in the same sentence. He speaks about the insolent, the haughty, and the boastful. So three different nuances, but insolent, haughty, and boastful. Have you recognized that all these characteristics, also as we think of Paul's words in Romans chapter 1, they are characteristics of the unregenerate person who does not know God, who does not want to know God. Uh, the focus in our proverb, however, is on this insolence, that is a blatant barging ahead without regard for God, without regard for his fellow men. Now we need to note this aspect of blatant disregard of presumptuousness. It comes out, for example, in the way the Lord makes a distinction between accidentally killing someone and willfully killing someone. Today, we speak of the distinction between manslaughter, that might happen in the heat of the moment of a conflict, and first-degree murder, where it has been carefully planned. In the latter, there is an arrogant disregard for the life of another and for the law. Deuteronomy 17, verse 12, the word is used to describe those who defy a judgment from the priest or a judge. And we also hear it in the plea of Psalm 19, verse 13, where we hear, for example, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Helpful is also the way that this word is used in Psalm 119, 
He sang a number of stanzas from that. You will have noticed references to pride and arrogance and boasting. Verse 21 we read, You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. In verse 51 we read, The insolent utterly deride me. In verse 69 we read, The insolent smear me with lies. Same kind of word used as here for pride. The insolent. Now by this time it should become clear that we are dealing with more than some sort of arrogant braggart, but we are looking at someone who is boastful about his own ability, who has no regard for the law of God, who has no regard for his fellow men. Now, as we see this, we begin to realize that this proverb is not out of place in this particular collection of proverbs. Because... If you think about those Proverbs that we read, you can glance at them again also to see that connection. You will see how there is that contrast between the righteous and the wicked. And the wicked, they are blatantly wicked in their actions. Chapter 10, verse 31 and 32, we read of those of perverse tongue. You know, a perverse tongue doesn't just kind of slip out a bad word or a bad saying, but it is deliberately perverse in all the things that it says. And even the mention of the false balances fits in for making a false balance, rigging the scales so that they do not give an accurate weight, is again an act of insolence, of planning to steal from another, but making an effort so that you will not be caught. And further... Chapter 11, verse 3, we read of the crookedness of the treacherous. And in 11, verse 6, the lust of the treacherous. So all those kind of proverbs speaking of, of the arrogant deniers and defiers of the law of God. These are people sinning and really don't care. As scripture also says sometimes, this is sinning with the uplifted hand. Knowing what God has said and then shaking your hand at him and saying, I don't really care, I'm going to do it anyway. You notice that was also the attitude that we could notice in Psalm 10. We sang a number of stanzas, of stanzas of it, but also again that mention of the arrogant, completely disregard the law of God. They boast about their disobedience and they go their own way as if there will be no consequences. You would also find a very similar message in Psalm 52. Now, once we see this meaning of pride, we can easily sense the meaning also of disgrace. This, this is not referring to some kind of minor, minor tap on the fingers and saying, oh, tut, tut, shouldn't have done that. No. We are dealing here with far-reaching consequences. To take our cue from the surrounding verses, this disgrace is more in the direction of life being cut short. For example, in 10 verse 27, or of destruction. Verse 29, and also chapter 11, verse 3, or falling by one's own wickedness. Verse 5. Now to think back to those examples of the word as used in Exodus 21 with respect to murder in Deuteronomy 14, the insolent, those who defy the law of God, will receive proper punishment for their presumptuous, proud defiance of the law of God. Now after all these words about the proud, we can be much briefer about the second half of the proverb, which speaks of the humble. For this refers to the modest, the unassuming person, 
who does not just blatantly go and insist on his own way. No, this humble person is the righteous person spoken of repeatedly in the surrounding verses. The righteous person is the one who, who walks in integrity before the Lord. We can call this the Psalm 119 type of person, the one who loves the law, who takes delight in the law, who wants to walk in the way of the Lord's commandments because he knows that is the way of life. Now, in light of the mention of disgrace for the proud, we would almost expect to read something like honor for the humble. But this is not the case. Rather, we read that with the humble is wisdom. Now, we always need to remind ourselves when we read of wisdom in a book like, like Proverbs, that does not refer to the fact that someone has a degree in philosophy, for example. No, but wisdom is actually practical. Wisdom is knowing how to live, how to conduct yourself in the various situations of life, so you will have a godly response. A wise person is one who knows how to live a life that pleases the Lord. And you know how the book of Proverbs repeatedly contrasts wisdom and folly. Wisdom is of the righteous. The way of folly is the way of the unbeliever who disregards the commandments of God. You might recall how Solomon, at the beginning of his reign, he asked God for wisdom. And, and also God's children should truly desire wisdom rather than riches, rather than all kind of honor and fame. Because if we receive wisdom, then we will know how to live as God's children in all the different situations of life. And then also honor and the fullness of life will follow. But now having taken the time to, to savor the proverb, we can turn to some illustrations. It would not be surprising if having, as you were listening, that perhaps some illustrations already came to your own mind. You say, oh yeah, I know of this example in the Bible that would kind of fit what the minister is talking about. Well, let's see if indeed there is an overlap between the things that pop up in your mind and also the things that will be mentioned in this sermon. The examples will focus especially on the proud defiance of God's laws and the disgrace, the destruction that followed. Now, the first and the most obvious example pertains to the fall into sin. Because here we have an example of the popular version of this proverb mentioned earlier, pride before the fall. Because if we think of the actions of our first parents, Adam and Eve, that truly was insolent. That truly was a matter of proud disobedience of the clear command of God. Because when you read also Genesis chapter 3, the interaction between the serpent and our first mother, then we know that our mother certainly knew what God had commanded. She even tried to defend God up to a certain point. But then she kind of gave in very quickly. And so in the end, rather than listen to God, no, she defiantly went her own way. And in that respect, the sin of our first parents is that that is a sin with the uplifted hand. I know what God said, but I'm going to disobey it anyway. 
In that respect, you can say her sin was premeditated. She thought about it before she did it. And as she willingly did it, we also know that her husband Adam, our first father, willingly followed suit. And so when we understand the meaning of pride as found in this proverb, we can well see that you could say the basic human sin was pride. Open, blatant disregard for God's command. Thinking, I know it better than God. What he says is not going to happen. I will do it my way and I will get life. Well, the opposite happened. That pride certainly brought disgrace and dishonor. Because this pride led to the fall. And that pride, that going one's own way, dragged the whole creation down with it. So you see where pride gets you. Disgrace in the sense of destruction and devastation. And now we can keep on going in the book of Genesis for illustrations. Because we are told in the first few chapters already after the fall into sin that the imagination of man's heart was to do evil continually. So in the first period of human history after the fall, the ways of a Cain who murdered his brother led to the behavior of a Lamech who boasted in the way he would kill someone just for insulting him. That proud attitude that defied God kept on growing, you could say. Well, it led to the flood. That pride in humanity, that sinful pride, led to the disgrace and the destruction of the world as it was known at that time. Now, the book of Genesis mentions the flood, follows the mention of the flood with the account of the Tower of Babel. And as you read that, again, you say, well, how quickly did mankind forget what had just happened? But it happened in that whole destruction of the world through the flood, with only Noah and his family surviving. And so proud humanity decided they needed a tower to keep everyone together, to keep unity in the human race, a tower that would reach into the heavens. Well, that pride, that sinful pride there, led to, again, dishonor, It led to disgrace. It led to the dispersion of the human race and the division of humanity among also language lines to the point that to this day, humanity has trouble understanding one another because of all the diversity of languages. Now continuing in the book of Genesis, we can also think of the situation in Sodom and Gomorrah. We know how news of their conduct reached to the heavens. And the men of the city, we are told, in sinful pride, paraded up to the door of the house of Lot and said, we want those men. We want those men. We want to have our way with them. It led to disgrace and infamy as the Lord rained down fire and brimstone and turned that beautiful valley into the Dead Sea, which is still there to this day to show you what happens when people defy the laws of the Lord. On a smaller scale, we can think of the actions of a man like Haman, you know, of his plot to, to kill Mordecai and the Jews. There we see also an example of a proud and insolent enemy of God's people. But we know what happened to him. He wanted to kill Mordecai and the Jews, but he ended up, ended up hanging on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Final illustration, we can think of proud Nebuchadnezzar 
who thought of himself so highly because he had the largest empire, you could say the world had seen by that point. Well, he was punished by the Lord and his pride in the way that he had to live as an animal for almost seven years before he got his mind back. Again, that pride led to disgrace. Now, as for the second half of the proverb, it's good to keep in mind that it did not say that with the humble comes glory and honor. Rather, with the humble comes wisdom. Now, earlier we mentioned Solomon. And we, we could see that in the first part of his reign when also he was given the question by the Lord, what do you want me to give you? Well, Solomon asked for wisdom. If only he had kept thinking in that way, you could say, throughout his life, because it turned bad towards the end of his life as he went after many foreign women. But at the beginning of his life, there was indeed that, that idea that he should indeed have wisdom because that's what he needed to be able to rule God's people. And the Lord gave that to him. And we can also think of the long list of men who lived by faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Because there we have a long list of those who believe God's promises and also they receive the wisdom, they receive the strength to be faithful, even if it cost them their lives. But they received what they needed to be faithful to the end. But after these illustrations, we turn our attention to the third point, that is the application of this proverb. Now, as we turn to the application, we also come to seeing how in this proverb we have the gospel message. Because it's always good to keep in mind that the gospel message cuts two ways. We think of it the way it is expressed in John 3, verse 16 to 18, that well-known verse where we have the promise that all those who believe in Jesus Christ have eternal life, but those who do not believe, you could say those who are proud, they shall perish. And when we think it through, that's the message of our proverb as well, because the proud are those who refuse to believe in Jesus. They continue in their sinful ways, even though they know the Lord condemns it, and they will receive accordingly. But the humble are those who believe in Jesus Christ, and they will receive wisdom. They will receive also, as a result, eternal life. And so in that respect, as we think about this word, the words of this proverb and connect it with John 3, verse 16 to 18, then this proverb brings out the urgency of the gospel message, while at the same time also holding before us the hope for all who believe this message. Now, we need to be reminded of the urgent warning as we live in a world filled with those who proudly defy God's laws. You know, it can be a little bit intimidating for believers to stand their ground, to live by the scriptures in an environment where the many proudly defy and mock God's laws. They, they, they mock it by the way they talk, they mock it by their whole manner of life. And you may hear it so often, different ways of looking, alternate, alternate ways of lifestyle, you could say, that we might even begin to second-guess ourselves as to whether we got it right, as to whether perhaps society is right after all, and not so bad as we thought they were. Because you know how it goes. If you hear something often enough, it kind of begins to break down your resistance. And if you hear it often enough, you might eventually begin to think, well, it's okay. 
It's true. And so we need to remind ourselves that something does not become true just because someone says it numerous times to basically they beat their mind in, our mind into submission. Now in this respect, we can think of the many ways that God's laws are blatantly defied and those who do so, they, they flaunt their disobedience. It's something it is something when we have a proverb that connects pride with disgrace, that there are those who use the very word pride in connection with a certain lifestyle that Scripture clearly condemns. You know, we, we hear every year again about these gay pride parades. That word, combination of words, that is like a defiant Looking at God, you could even go further and say this is a defiance. Slapping God in the face saying, we know what you say, but we don't care. We're going to use these words to insult you and to defy you and go our way. And God almost is there to do something about it. Now, while our text makes us think of that specific example, you know, we think of Paul's words that we referred to earlier in Romans chapter 1. They, they are good to keep in mind because they help us to broaden this list. We shouldn't just be focused on one particular sin which defies God. Because if you think of Romans 1, verse 29, for example, where Paul writes how, and he speaks about the unregenerate, the proud, you could say, they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. There we have those words again. Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. See, that's a long list there, not just one, a long list. A long list of ways that people defy God's laws. And we need to see this for ourselves, but also we need to see this, and the church needs to be there, there to proclaim this and sound a warning cry. For the presumptuous disobedience of God's ways, which began in the garden and has continued throughout the centuries, will not remain unpunished. And if the church does not dare to say to the world, you are walking on the road to eternal destruction because you defy the law of God with your proud behavior in all these different aspects, as we mentioned, for example, in Romans chapter 1. If the church doesn't dare to say, if you do not repent, you're destined for hell, then the church has nothing to say to the world anymore at all. Because that's the message of the gospel. Repent and believe. Only in that way is their life. If you do not repent and believe, if you continue in your way, you will suffer eternal destruction. That's the full gospel. Now, while our text serves as a warning to the world, and the church has to say that warning to the world, it serves, of course, also as a warning to ourselves. For we ever need to be on guard that we do not depart from God's ways. That's always a danger, that we are guilty of presumptuous sins, that, that we, perhaps in more subtle ways, act in proud defiance of God's laws. And in this respect, we need to pray the words of Psalm 19, that the Lord 
spare us from presumptuous sins, and that we walk in the way of integrity true to our faith in Christ. We have to ask the Lord, save me from sinful pride, that I don't go that way, but that I walk in the way of uprightness. At the same time, there is also the encouragement in the mention of the humble. Remember, the promise is not glory, but wisdom. Wisdom, as we said before, is knowing how to live as faithful children of God in whatever situations life may send your way. And the way of wisdom, of course, is the way of life and the way that leads to eternal life. And yes, when there is wisdom, there will also come glory and honor in the age that is to come. Now, near the beginning, we spoke of Proverbs being like chocolates. And we are to savor the flavor. And so by now, we should be familiar with the proverb, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Indeed, we should be able to go home and say it to each other, and having heard its explanation and reflected on some illustrations, it is also, of course, time for daily application. Fleeing the ways of insolence, of pride, and seeking to walk humbly with our God. Amen.